Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up? Welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am Alex Terranova, and we are live once again. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to these podcasts, uh, thanks for being here. If you're on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, thanks for being here too. Uh, you're getting it live. You can always watch the replay or listen to it on audio, Apple, Spotify, main places to go. Uh, I haven't. I feel like I haven't recorded in a couple of weeks. Um, Man, and there's so much going on. I just want to give you all the highlights if you've been following along. Um, I am, I am about twenty day, about twenty days a monthish away from the Tulum trip. Um, partnered with an incredible woman um, who knew this experiment would take me on this journey to meet someone amazing. Um, we have gotten vulnerable. We've connected. Uh, my mind is blown that. We created a real life bachelor experience in real life where people picked who I would go to Tulum with on a trip. And we actually found someone who I feel super fortunate and uh, extraordinarily loved. She's challenging me to grow. And I think I'm doing the same to her. And I think the, one of the best parts about this whole experience is all the people I met along the journey. Um, I met incredible women throughout the whole way. Some I think I will stay in touch with. Um, some I've done podcasts with. One was on the Dream Mason podcast not that long ago. Uh, and I'm just blown away. And the thing I have for you is experiment with your life. You don't know where your life is going. You don't know where it's supposed to go. And if we just do the things that are safe and comfortable, we don't find out what we're capable of. We don't get to expand. And experimenting with your life, whether it's the fact that I went vegan for a whole year in 2020, or I created a dating experiment over the last month or so to decide who would go on a trip with me. Um, if we're comfortable, we don't grow. And when we put ourselves in uncomfortable, different, unique situations, we're forced to grow. What else? Uh, I am about to move uh, up to from San Diego to Carlsbad. I'm eight days away from escrow closing. Um, I don't know when you'll see this, when this will, if you're seeing it live, I'm eight days and uh, it's super nerve wracking. It's super, it's vulnerable just to say this, that uh, I'm closing on a property. It's the first time I've ever done it for myself. I've done it as, as a flipper, but never somewhere that I would live. And again, the same thing, you put yourself in uncomfortable, un uh, situations that you haven't done many times before or at all, and you're going to be uncomfortable and your brain is going to mess with you about that. And I like to think like, focus on the target, focus where you're going. And if you do that, 
you don't trip and fall. You don't get hit from behind. You don't get hit from things on the side. You just keep heading where you're going. And so when my brain is telling me this is scary, this is too big, it's too much money, you're putting all your all this all this savings into a down payment. I just keep focusing on like, hey, this is this is where I'm headed. This is what I said I wanted. And uh, it's pretty wild to have written on a whiteboard. I will buy a house or a property this year. And like, you're doing these things uh, and I'm doing these things and I love helping clients do these things, but I can't do it. I can't help other people if I'm not helping myself. I want to get to the guest because I'm super excited. A lot of, you know, I've talked about it before. I've been part of an organization called BNI. It stands for business networking international. I first joined BNI I don't know, six or seven years ago when I was getting my coach training, somebody in the coach training was suggesting ways to network. And I hated networking up until that point. It was like, you go into a room, you're slinging around business cards and it just felt like all performancey and disconnected. And somebody suggested this organization called BNI. I was living in New York. I didn't know what BNI was. Somebody said, go to a bunch of BNI groups and find one that fits for you. I visited about seven groups over the course of a month or two. Some of them had like 70 or 80 people. Some of them had like 20 people. And I ended up settling on this group that felt like home. It felt comfortable. It felt safe. Uh, I mean, it was still uncomfortable because I'd never done this before. But what I loved about the organization was it was structured. You didn't just like mull around a bar and hope you met people or get stuck or, you know, with certain people. You actually had opportunities to share who you were, listen to who other people were, and then really connect with who you wanted to. And I ended up joining a chapter for about a year and a half when I was in New York launching my business. And now we're talking five, six, seven years later. I live in San Diego. I'm part of uh, an amazing chapter in La Jolla. And I've been part of that chapter for three years-ish, maybe going on four. I don't know the exact timeline. But what I can share is that it has blown up my business. BNI has been a massive resource in me having a business that grows. And so having the founder of this organization on the podcast today feels like a really a gift because I don't know what my business would look like without the support and structure of not only the organization, but all the people I've met. I actually was in a relationship at one point and I met the woman in the organization. So not in that relationship anymore. So good or bad, but all these amazing things. I have friends that have come from this and, um, one of the first things I tell new coaches is if you're a coach, if you're an entrepreneur, get yourself in a BNI group. It will help you in ways beyond the referrals and the money, the speaking, the connection. You got to do that. So let me introduce you really quick. Dr. Ivan Meisner. I could probably go on all day about him, but I think the highlights are he's known as the father of modern networking. His his organization that he started, BNI, is, I think, in almost every country in the world, but it's the largest networking organization in the world. And he's also written 26 books. As somebody who's written one and an eighth of a book, one full book myself and contributing author and another, 26 books is pretty astounding. Dr. Ivan Meisner, welcome to the Dream Mason podcast. Thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure being on. I appreciate the invitation. Thanks for, I, I just want to say thank you as uh, personally, like, you know, as someone who created something that I don't know that my business, you know, maybe it would exist, maybe it wouldn't, but I can, I know exactly how much business I've created because of BNI and how much business I've been able to give away too, yeah. which is such a gift to be able to say, man, I've like 
I've been able to give people this much business and I've been able to get, and who knows if I would be here with a successful business without it. So thank you personally for that. Thank you. I, I, I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm certainly, I'm, I'm humbled by what BNI has become. We now have over 10,400 groups in more than 70 countries around the world. Um, the trailing past 12 months. So, you know, um, from August this year to September last year, um, BNI uh, passed over 16 million referrals and generated um, over 18 billion, with a B, 18 wow. billion U.S. dollars worth of business for the members. Because as you know, we track all the referrals and we track how much business yeah. is generated. During COVID, during the craziest year and a half I have ever seen in my life, uh, we generated $18 billion. Now, Alex, just so you know, $18 billion, that's more than twice the gr gross domestic product for the country of Liechtenstein. <laughs> okay, it's a small country, I know. But still, how cool is that, that we could generate as much, you know, twice as much business as the GDP of a small nation? I'm, I'm looking for a bigger nation next year, but I, I still think that's amazing that we could do that. The, the truth is that your network, your yeah. network is a beacon of hope in a sea of fear. Mm. The world's a crazy place, a lot of fear going on, but your network is a beacon of hope. And that's what I hope BNI is for our 283,000 members worldwide, a beacon of hope. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with you. When When COVID started... I remember being really clear that this organization was going to be a place that I could like be supported, get supported. Like there's other ones in my life too, but that these are all people that are committed to their businesses. Yeah. And as not only as a member, but as a coach, I'm committed to helping them. So I, I often think like, Hey, how can I simply just share how I support my clients, but inside of the group. Yeah. And what I noticed was our group thrived. Yeah. Right. The people that stayed in the group thrived. Now, that doesn't mean there weren't some ups and downs and some yeah. scary moments until. But overall, our group kept passing business because yeah. they came to a place where we were encouraging each other not to give up, not yeah. to listen to the outside forces, but to say, hey, how can we continue to help each other? Yeah. And I think that we actually did that more is like we we into each other more. Yeah, look, you know, I, I've been through, this is the fourth recession, and I don't know if we're still currently in the recession or not, probably, but um, this is the fourth downturn in an economy that I've seen. And um, my experience is that people either get frozen by fear or they get focused by fear. And when you get focused by fear, magic can happen. And that's what I've seen with a lot of people in BNI is they get focused by their, their concerns. And one of the things I tell them is microdose the news right now. The news is, I don't even, it's not the news anymore. It's the opinion stations. They're all giving opinions. I'm, you know, old enough. Yeah, I have enough gray hair. I remember that when, you know, someone like Walter Cronkite was on and he started giving his opinion, there'd be this little thing flashing across the bottom of the screen. This is the opinion of our newscaster. It may or may not be the opinion of the station. And so I knew I was hearing an opinion. Now we hear opinions like they're the news. And and it it just gets people worked up and it makes you even more fearful. I pick up all my news off of apps and I, you know, I'll take a look at the left. I'll take a look at the right. So I have a sense of where things are going and I try to focus on solutions, not all the problems. 
And that's what we try to do in BNI is focus on solutions, not the problems. And that's how we generated 18 billion during this crazy, for our members during this crazy time. You're muted. I got myself muted. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you touched on something really, really great right there, right? Like the news isn't necessarily news, right? It's opinion. And I think some of us realize that and some of us don't. And we're in this, like these highly decisive kind of chaotic times in a lot of ways. How have you, how do you teach? Cause you've, you've led BNI for a long time. You didn't just, you know, weren't the founder and just walked away. You led the organization as the CEO. <laughs> how do you support people to separate their strong beliefs about the things that are happening in the world from their business, because it's, it's often so right. We want to, we want to smash it all together. And often we yeah. want to do business with people that think the way that we think, but yeah. sometimes that can be, you know, we can, we can hurt ourselves that way. Yeah. It can be very divisive. Um, I mean, imagine for, for all my 283,000 members, imagine that I told you all how to vote because it's the way I believe we should all vote. Um, I'd make half my organization pretty ticked off because it's like, uh, you know, who, who are you to tell us this? The same thing applies on a, a micro level, uh, on a, you know, at a very local level. And so we learned the hard way years ago when people, I, I remember having a chapter in the 80s, it was like 86, that completely crashed and burned because they started talking politics at a meeting. And it became so incredibly divisive, the chapter actually uh, just imploded. And that's when it became really clear very quickly that, look, you know, you, you, you have political, I have political opinions. A lot of people don't know this. I have a bachelor's degree in political science. <laughs> I have opinions. You're going to not, you're not going to know what they are. People that, you know, you don't know if I'm a Democrat, if I'm a Republican, I don't talk about that to people because it just becomes divisive. I want to do business uh, with other, you know, honest, ethical business people. I think it's a huge mistake to talk politics and religion in your networking organization. And we don't, we don't do it in BNI. I did a podcast on it years ago, but, you know, don't do it if you, unless you want your chapter to blow up, don't do it. <laughs> What do you think is, and you have a, you have a lot of books about this. What do you think is the, what are the best ways, right? We just, we just hit on, Hey, maybe politics isn't the best way to bring your people together in a networking sense, right? Cause to that, to your point, right? We only bring people that agreed with each other in that sense. What are the, what's the best way to bring people together to network, to support each other in their businesses? Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's all about um, building relationships with people. Um, and a lot of people, you said you didn't, you don't, at one time you didn't like going to networking events. And that's the truth with a lot of people. Uh, I did a presentation know, maybe a decade ago in London and it, I was the keynote speaker. It was an all day event. And um, so there's a lot of open networking going on. And I saw a lot of people using uh, the event to do face-to-face -face cold calling you know, basically just trying to sell. And so I asked the 900 people in the audience, I asked them two questions to open up. I said, how many of you are here today hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly sell something? So I'm, 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 I'm going to answer your question, but the story will help lay it up. How many of you are here today? Raise your hands if you're hoping to sell something. 900 people raised their hands. I'm like, great, 
Second question. How many of you are here today hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly buy something? No one raised their hands. Not one single person. This is what I call the networking disconnect. Too many people show up at networking events wanting to sell. Very few people, if any, are there to buy. So why go to a networking event? Here's why. You go to work your way through the VCP process. Visibility, credibility, profitability. First, you've got to be visible. People have to know who you are, what you do. Then you move to credibility, and that one takes time. That's where people know who you are, they know what you do, and they know you're good at it. And then and only then can you get to profitability, where people know who you are, they know what you do, they know you're good at it, and they're willing to give you ongoing referrals. This means that networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. It's about cultivating relationships with other business professionals. And people who get that do well in networking and they don't hate it because it's all about building relationships with people. It's not about the transactions. It's about relations. I've heard that before. I think you've, I know you have, you've talked about the farming of like on your podcast before. Um, When, when we think about like networking, you are right. I think it's uh, Entrepreneur Magazine and then Forbes called you the father of modern networking. Yeah, I'm just um, glad they haven't called me the grandfather yet. <laughs> Would you take the Godfather? Could we? Could you? Uh, Swagger Magazine just recently had me on the cover and, <laughs> and called me the Godfather of uh, networking. Nice. So, what? Where did you? What's your? I know the story of how you started BNI. Like you know, you created this, and you were in San Diego, actually, right? And uh, I was in. Um, it was Cl- uh, no uh, L.A. County. So okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, by the way, that chapter still exists today. The original chapter. The original chapter. Yeah. That's incredible. How long ago was that? When was this? 1985. So it's been. Uh, it's going on 37 years. Wow. <laughs> so, what made you, or what has made you, the like expert on networking? What was your? Did you? Was there prep beforehand? Did you just wing this thing and learn as you went? And now, you know, this many 30 plus years later, now you're an expert. When did that shift happen? Well, I, certainly in the first year, I was method acting my way through the process. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was figuring it out as I went. But the thing is, nobody had it figured out because we don't teach this in colleges and universities anywhere in the world. This is what I knew. I went to a whole lot of networks that were incredibly mercenary. Everyone was trying to sell to me. And I'd leave those meetings and I felt like I'd been slimed and I needed to go home and get a shower. Hated those. Then I went to these other groups. They were totally social. It was happy hour and hors d'oeuvres. Nobody wore badges. It was just a complete social thing. I hated those because I wanted to do business. And so what I wanted was something that had a focus on business, but wasn't mercenary. It was, you know, relational versus transactional. And I wanted something that um, wasn't totally social. It had that relationship building aspect. And, and so I, I created a network. Now, I didn't plan on having, you know, 10,400 chapters. I just wanted one network to, to help me as a business consultant, get referrals and to help my friends. And I wanted to merge that focus on business with the relation and the glue that would hold it together is our principal core value of giver's gain. This idea that if I help you, you'll help me. We'll all do this together. It'll all work out by working together. And, um, you know, the rest just kind of blew my mind. I, I, you know, we ended up opening 20 chapters in the first year by accident. 
And it was then that I sat down and created a plan and started writing everything down. And that's how I developed the expertise. I wrote everything down that worked and didn't work. And many of those things ended up in my books. I, I often, so many people have come on this show and I know for me and for clients, right? When we get that like spark of inspiration, that excitement, and we just go and we don't ask yeah. questions. Yeah. We stop and I, ask questions. I call it, I call it my Brody moment. Okay. Okay. So you're in La, La Jolla. You'll, you'll appreciate this. You remember the movie Jaws? Of course. Yeah. So uh, Sheriff Brody uh, went into the um, wheelhouse with the cat. He saw the shark for the first time. He ran into the wheelhouse. And what did he say? We're going to need a bigger boat to the captain. So it, at the end of 1985, when I opened 20 chapters with, without trying, that was my Brody moment. That's where I went, we're going to need a bigger organization. This is going to be way larger than I anticipated. And that's when I sat down and created my, my business plan to scale the company. And it's worked pretty well. I love, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Cause it's, we so often are, are on the other side where we're going, how do I do it? What's the end result? All this stuff. And then we get caught up in all the minutia and all the details and we never actually start and we never open up that first chapter or the second or the third or the fifth. Yeah. And yeah, yes, of course, there's a time for planning, right? You said, hey, at that point, you had to start planning and you just start yep. looking at things differently. But if you had said, yeah, how many how many chapters are there now in the world? 10,436. I get a daily report. Wow. So That's now if, today. if in 1985, somebody said you're going to open up that many chapters, I don't know about you, but most people would have gotten just overwhelmed. It would have been yeah. like, how can I get to it's It's too... It's there's no baby step to that. It's this massive thing that our brains can't even comprehend. Yeah, you're right. But and here's an interesting, you may find this story interesting. Um, I created the plan in 85, December of 85. Uh, I always think of around New Year's about my future and how did things go. So I created the plan. So then I started thinking, how many chapters could this actually have someday? And so I went to the library. This is before Monsieur Google, where you could Google anything. <laughs> you know, I actually had to go to the library. To, to get books on populations. And I did this calculation that um, I felt that someday B and I could possibly have 10,000 chapters. Wow. Now this was June of 1986. And I remember telling a good friend of mine, Hey, Bruce, I think, um, I think B and I could someday have 10,000 groups. And he looked at me and he said, 10,000. I said, yeah, I think it's possible. And he said, and how many groups do you have now? <laughs> June, six months later. So 30. And he said, and you think you can have 10,000? I said, yeah, I think it's possible. December 2020, we passed the 10,000 mark. That's pretty incredible. I, it, it, as you were telling that, it's making me think of like a professional athlete, right? Uh, uh, a Michael Jordan, a LeBron James, a Kobe Bryant, any of these, that when they start out, you know, I, th I would say a lot of them had great big expectations. And if you had said to them, hey, you're going to score 20,000 points or something, they might have believed it was possible because someone else had done it at least, right? Yeah. What you did necessarily nobody else had done. But the idea of where that thing is to where they are, right? They just scored their first 30s, 30 points. That gap is 
is monumental and massive. And to, to the fact that you said you even endured four recessions, right? There's, there's all these things that you can't even take into account right. that you just had to keep kind of almost what I, I feel like, tell me if I'm wrong, but what I was talking about in the beginning is kind of keep your eyes on where you said you wanted to go and not worry about all the stuff that's either chasing you from behind or coming in from the sides. Yeah, absolutely true. I tell business people all the time, you want to be successful in business, do six things a thousand times. Not a thousand things six times. And what most business people do are a thousand things six times. They keep jumping around from idea to idea to idea, and they never get it right. You know the old expression, um, practice till you get it right? Uh, you got to do something over and over until you get it right? I, yeah. I don't believe that. I think you do it over and over again until you can't get it wrong. Mm. If you do it over and over again, you can't get it wrong or you reduce the possibility of getting it wrong. That's when you're on the right track. And the problem is entrepreneurs like to jump around too much and, and they enjoy doing a thousand things six times, but you can't scale that. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that entrepreneurs probably mm. struggle with the most. I think. I feel like you just threw a, that was like personal. <laughs> um, it felt, personal am, to you? Yeah, yeah. Personal yeah, to me. I am. I am the. I am a great example of. I get excited about a lot of things. Somebody asked me recently. Um, I, I shared this Tulum experiment that I had created, and the woman who I, I was spending some time with her, and she goes, "What do you really want to accomplish?" And I and I just started spitting out all these things I want to do in my life, and she went, wow, that's like a lot of, a lot of stuff. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think like, Hey, it's great that I have a lot of things, but when I, when I think about it, the reason I have a successful coaching practice is because I focused on it and did it every day. I didn't, you know, one day I was a coach, one day I was selling multi-level marketing and the next day I'm doing something else or right. I, I said, I quit all my other things. And I said, I'm going to do this. And I didn't eat, and I didn't start the podcast even, or really write my first book until I was almost two years into just practicing coaching Yeah, as a, Hey, you got to get the reps. And I love that you say, I've never heard it put that way. Six things, a thousand times versus a thousand things, six times, which, yeah. What, um, yeah, I keep, I keep this here, uh, right next to my desk on this topic. People are constantly, constantly chasing bright, shiny objects. <laughs> oh, here's something new. Let's try that. And they keep jumping around um, instead of doing, doing what they know works. How do you know what works? You, you, you go to your mentors. You go to experts. You come to podcasts like this and you listen to people who you trust and, and take the ideas that you hear and then you figure them out. And by the way, it doesn't have to be six. It could be five. It could be seven. It's a handful of things. And you do it over and over and over again until you nail it. And BNI is that way. You go to... You go to a BNI chapter in another country. You don't even know the language. You will know exactly where they are in the meeting, <laughs> even if you don't know the language. I, I went to Sweden once and I was watching the entire meeting in Swedish. And Swedish is like, unless you know the language, it's not like French where you can pick up a couple of words or Spanish. I grew up in Southern California. So Swedish is a completely foreign language to Americans. And, um, and someone leaned over to me and said, you have no idea 
where we're at in the meeting, are you? And I said, no, no, we're at the referral part of the meeting. He's probably saying, um, he's saying, no, he's saying, uh, if you have a referral, give it if you don't give a testimonial. And he's like, wow, you know Swedish? I said, no, I wrote the agenda. That's what happens right now. He was like, that's exactly what he's doing. Like, I know. And that's part of doing six things a thousand times globally. How do you, how does all this translate for you now that so much of this is virtual, right? Like I, I've got to be part of, BNI years of experience in person. And then now it's transitioned to virtual. And I could give you my own personal, like what I like, what I don't like. But as somebody who who founded this and created this, right? It's like your baby got all jumbled in a way. And you didn't have any say over that. You didn't decide, hey, we should go virtual. This, this no, is- I was involved in that. Well, no, no. I mean, I mean, like the well, COVID, COVID created yeah, 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 it. And say with that. However, yeah, you didn't create COVID unless you. <laughs> no, 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 I did not. Um, I, although this might surprise you, I actually wrote an article in 2018 that said the future of face to face is online. And BNI members who read it were like, ooh. You know, say it ain't so. That can't be. You're the founder of BNI. How could you say it's online? Because of technology. You know, with the development of mixed reality technologies, holographic images, 3D technologies, it's inevitable. I said that I thought it would happen within 10 years. That was two and a half, three years ago. I said that. I didn't see COVID coming. Luckily, our CEO uh, of BNI, Graham Weimiller, did. And he flipped, I mean, we flipped 9,700 groups in um, very you know, country by country within 30 days in every country. Yeah. And, um, and so I think what COVID did was expedite what was going to happen anyway. It was unfortunate, but it did. Now, what I think is going to happen, and by the way, for anyone who's in BNI, this is not policy that you're about to hear. <laughs> this, is, this is Ivan's opinion. I think what um, is likely is that we're going to see hybrid meetings now, where as it becomes safe to meet in person, we're going to see, first of all, we're going to see a lot of people go back to meeting in person, 100%. We'll see some chapters who will never meet in person. I mean, think about it. We started with 9,700. We now have 10,400. So we have literally opened uh, 700 chapters Mm -hmm. who have never met in person. So um, some of those will only meet online, but what's likely for the rest is a hybrid where, and again, this isn't policy. This is just what I think. Um, I think we'll see a lot of groups meet online three times a month and meet in person once a month because nothing beats, you know, shaking someone's hand, looking in the eyes and the three dimensional eyes. So I think that's, what's likely but when we get to the point of having holographic meetings where it's like the jedi knights remember the jedi knights or a real jedi and then a couple of holographic jedis Um, when we get to that point i want to be obi-wan kenobi (laughs) i uh i you know i hadn't thought of this until right now as you said it because there's definitely i can see all i can see clearly the reasons why meeting in person is a benefit. I can clearly see why virtual is a benefit. And I think we could take that about anything, right? Corporate meetings, dating, people have dated now virtually, right? When they, when everybody was like essentially stuck in their houses. One of the things that just hit me too, is just like simply, um, you know, for a long time as a world, businesses was, business was local, 
right? When you created this in the 80s, more so than most entrepreneurs, most businesses were local to their area. So it would have made sense to like, hey, you know, I'm a dry cleaner. You're you're a local advertising person, a, a car repair guy, a lawyer, whatnot. That made sense. Now, not just is is the world has also shifted over the last 30 years where my business, like I have, I think I have two or three clients, San Diego based and the rest of my clients are all over. over. And while they can refer me, my BNI group is a very localized group. And while, Hey, the, the auto mechanic is probably going to, right. He's probably going to always be a, a local. Please. How is that? Well, <laughs> yeah. He'll always be local. Uh, and uh, two things I want to say. Yeah. One is uh, 10 years ago, we, 11 years ago, we trademarked the term local business global network mm-hmm. for BNI Connect. So yes, they will almost always be doing business locally. But I, I had a referral story uh, given to me not long ago about a mother in the UK who needed a landscaper for her house. And she reached out to her daughter in Malta. I don't, I don't even know where that is. A little island in the, in the um, okay. Mediterranean and said, um, hey, um, you're in this networking uh, thing. Uh, do, would you happen to know of any landscapers in London? And so uh, she said, yeah, I, you know, she got on BNI Connect. She said, yeah, I, I've got, the, here's the name of a landscaper. Then the mom later says, hey, um, I need a painter. Could you see if you can find a painter uh, in London? And so her daughter's feeding her referrals. To people who could only do business locally, mm-hmm. but getting referrals from another country. Yeah. So uh, even people who only do business locally can utilize the global network. What's been your, for, from this 35 plus year journey, what's been the greatest lesson for you, like personally? I'm sure there's more than one, but what, you know. What so many. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I've really learned over the years is that it's important to be working in your flame and not in your wax. When you're working in your flame, you're on fire. You're excited. You love what you're doing. People can hear it in your voice. They can see it in the way you behave. When you're working in your wax, it just takes all your energy away. And people can hear that in your voice and they can see that in the way you behave. And so one of the things I've learned over the years is to really find ways to work more in my flame. By the way, this is what we're doing right now is in my flame. I love doing interviews. I love pouring into people about my experiences, good or bad. Um, And so early, you know, for many, many years, I was King Arthur leading the charge and, you know, building the company. But, you know, in these later years, I'm now sort of the Colonel Sanders of BNI. And so what I've done is I have repositioned myself because running a company for 30 years, that's a long time. That's a long time. And I, what was my flame became my wax. And so I brought in somebody who's, it's his flame, totally his flame. And now I get to do, I get to do this. This is what I get to do for a living is interviews and writing and, and, um, and, and speaking. And so I think that's an important lesson that, Work in your flame, and it's okay for your flame to change over time. The other thing that you also have to understand is that I'm going to back up to the very beginning. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get to do what you want to do. And so there were years of me doing stuff that was in my wax until I could hire somebody to fill that spot. And then when I did, made all the difference in the world. Hire somebody who could do that job. Mm. 
That's great. Um, what do you, uh, there's so much I want to, I want to address. You wanted to talk a little bit about who's in your room. I don't know if you still do. Oh, please. Yeah, no, please. That's your newest book. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. One of my, I've actually had one, two since then, but, um, um, I I came out with a book called infinite giving Mm -hmm. and a book called uh, master connector, but who's in your room is such a cool book. Um, imagine that you live your life in one room and that one room has only one door and that one door is an enter only door. And when someone comes into your room or into your life, they're there forever. You can never get them out. But luckily uh, it's a metaphor. Uh, but if it were true, Alex, if it were true, would you be more selective about the people that you've let into your life? A hundred percent, of course. Yeah, that's what everybody yeah. says. Yeah. So here's my argument. Stay on screen for a second because I'm gonna I'm gonna All ask right. you a question. I want you to think of somebody that because people say to me it's it, it is a metaphor. I can get them out of my life. I can get people out of my life. Okay. So I want you to think, Alex, of somebody that you got out of your life. They were toxic caustic, difficult, angry, whatever the reasons. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask you to name them. I'm super clear who they are. You have one in particular? I got one person. Yeah. Okay. What I want you to do right now is to think about something that person did that just irked you. It made you so mad. You, get, mm-hmm. you got it in your mind? Mm-hmm. So if they're still in your head, they're still in your room and they will be there for the rest of your life. You will make decisions in the future based on the experiences that you had with that person in the past, good or bad. And that applies to good people, people that have really changed your life. And you'll make decisions in the future, which may not be good decisions because you were basing it on somebody else who was a good person. And so the thing is that when people come into your room or into your life, they're there forever. You, they may be in the far recesses of the room or I, what we talk about is, you know, take them, put them in a box and put them high on a shelf. They're still there, but um, they're not, uh, you know, they're not as, as active in your life, obviously. And so um, what we do in, in the book is we talk about how do you screen the people that you let into your life? You know, how do you screen your room better? How do you deal with the people that you let in that you didn't, you didn't know about the room concept? Um, you know, what do you do with it? How do you do, how do you deal with family members that you had no choice on and <laughs> how do you live your best life? How, how do you, how do you create the life of your dreams? That's the book. And it's a short book. I mean, the book is like, you can read it in two hours. I mean, that's, that's how thin it is. So it's a really short book. Um, and, and I think it's one of the most powerful books I've written. And it's not about networking, but it's all about relationship building. Mm-hmm. It's all about networking. One of the, th- I mean, I love the concept. I have the book, it's, it's sitting right behind me on my shelf. And I, um, I love the concept of your, what you just described. It's your room. Isn't just a literal room. It's figure it's in your mind. Yeah. It's in your heart. It's in your soul. It's your past. Yeah. The room, I, I mean, so here's the thing. The room starts here mm-hmm. and ends here. That's <laughs> the room. And, but, they, but your mind, right. Expands to everywhere you go. Right. So it's yes. whatever, whatever spaces you're in. I definitely know, you know, as a coach, I work with tons of 
with all my clients at some point or another, and me having my own coach about actually letting go of the past, right? I, I, I talk about it as a lot as we carry around body bags. Yeah, we're dragging we around body bags from our past over both yeah. shoulders, their people, their situations. And I do believe that we can let those things go. The fact that you just pointed out that I got somebody right away tells me, hey, I haven't actually done the work to be we fully complete. Totally. And it's a the never ending. Is, are they making it? Are they still are they making yeah. your decisions in a negative way? That's the key. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. The person I, that came to mind for me is actually a situation I've been dealing with recently, which is, um, they were somebody who showed up in my, that was a friend, but who would be all over my life, kind of like, um, telling me everything that was wrong with everything. Yeah. And they kept saying, telling me I'm doing this for your own good. I'm helping you. Yeah. And I decided one day, I don't want that anymore. Like, I just don't want somebody in my life who might say they love me, but tells me all the crap that's wrong with what that's I'm right. doing and how I'm doing it. And so I decided I don't want them in my life anymore. And it was, it wasn't an easy decision. And they were a good friend, but there's still those people that show up right out of nowhere that tell you everything you're doing wrong, criticize you, comment. And those are still for me personally, they're online trolls, especially as you do things like this that's an area of growth because it's still an area that pushes that button. It still triggers that old, that person in my mind that has them still show up in the room embodied through different people. Yeah. So in the book, we talk about them as engines and anchors, mm -hmm. you know, the anchors are the people that just drag you down and the engines are the ones that drive you forward. They make you your a best version of yourself. The worst, by the way, are the anchors with an engine attached <laughs> and they're taking you down fast. And so um, you got to figure out whether somebody's an engine or an anchor. Years ago, I had uh, lunch with Harvey McKay, you know, Harvey McKay wrote the book, I, um, uh, swim at the sharks without getting eaten alive. Oh, okay. And dig your well before you're thirsty. Great guy. And he said something to me very profound. He said, Ivan, I've lost more sleep over people I've kept mm. than I have over people I have fired. And I lose sleep over people I fire. And I, and I think that applies to, to relationships. You know, sometimes you got to fire relationships that you have. And you got to, you know, you'll never get them out of your room, but you put them in that box and you put them high on a shelf and you get them out of your life. And we talk about a number of ways to do that. Um, and uh, I mean, if you, I, I could talk about some of those if you want, but it, it, it's, uh, we give a lot of suggestions. Let me tell you one that's not in the book that I heard, we're working on a second edition right now. This is going to go in the second edition. I, I talked about, um, we, we talked about in the book, um, benign neglect and, and, and ignoring, uh, you know, somebody that's just constantly trying to get active in your room again. And so this is what she did. She, she said, we have a family member who would come to family dinners and in the middle of a family dinner, you know, we'd all be laughing and talking. And she would just throw in this verbal hand grenade. And people would get irate. Often it was politics, by the way. Uh, and she would say something incredibly, just to anger everybody. And it, we would just get incredibly, it would be horrible. And the dinner would be hor horrible. And, it, you know, everyone would leave and they're all angry. And they couldn't figure out what to do. And she read who's in your room and she came up with this idea based on the book. We're going to put this in the second edition. They decided as a family, they talked without her there and they said, okay, so the next time she throws in one of those verbal hand grenades, this is what we do. We all look at her and say, oh, okay. And then turn back and go back to our other conversation. <laughs> and that's 
what they did. So sure enough, she was invited to the next dinner. Sure enough, in the middle of the dinner, boom, everybody turned to her and was like, oh, okay. And then went back to the conversation. Just like, she, whatever it was that she was being fed by or fueled by, by doing these negative things, she lost. And she actually stopped coming to a lot of the dinners. <laughs> she did. And when she came, she Love didn't that. bring her hand grenades and um, a verbal hand grenade. And, and you know, that you may be in my life, but your baggage has to stay out. Mm. What about, so what have you, when you, when you, this, it, everything we're talking about, it blends between personal and professional so easily. Yes. Right. Is this is not a how do you juggle or how how do you teach people to juggle the personal and professional? Because we touched yeah. on the politics before and the religion in, in an aspect of like, hey, we want to keep this out of this space because we're our purpose of this isn't right. This isn't a politics and religion support group. This is a business support group. So if things aren't supporting that, we would put them to the side. Same thing, business often is tense for families, right? Like families often have tense relationships around business. Yeah. And even in the chapters, um, business squirmishes can happen. Yeah. How do you navigate conflict or how do you support people to navigate conflict? Well, that's, those are two different questions. Uh, first, it was, sounds like you were talking about balance. Um, and the second was skirmishes. So let me sure. tackle them separately. Sure, please. Um, you want, I, it, this is the second to the last chapter of Who's in Your Room. Would you like to know the secret to uh, balance, Alex? Now, you may have already read it, but um, your, your listeners, Go viewers may, may not know it. I, I'm going to give you the secret to balance. Here it is. Forget about balance. You'll never achieve it. it it's impossible. I, I think it's impossible. It we doesn't exist. Balance, yeah. We look at balance as scales. And our personal life has to be in balance with our business life, which has to be in balance with our spiritual life and our health. And it's ought to all be in balance. Life ain't that way, especially for business people. Life is more of a juggling act than it is a balancing act. So that's the bad news. Here's the good news. I don't believe you can have balance, but I do believe you can have harmony. And harmony is, it's not just semantics. Even the graphic for harmony, the yin and the yang are out of balance if you separate them. Mm. So what we talk about in the book is a number of things um, that can bring life into harmony. And I'll give you, uh, I'll give you a couple. One is um, just a few simple words. Be here now, wherever you are, be there. Because you were talking about business getting in, you know, in conflict with home. Wherever you are, be there. Don't be at home thinking about the work project that you have to do. And don't be at work thinking about the fact that you didn't spend time with the family last night. Wherever you are, be fully present to that, if at all possible. And I wasn't perfect at it, but I just got to be pretty good at it. Uh, another one is to create margins in your life. Learn how to create margins, like the margin on a, news, uh, on a, on a book. There's margins. You have to have margins in your life where you you do things that bring you joy. Um, you know, you got to take vacations. I'm a believer in vacations. You got to take time off during the week. Um, you have to you have to have time off during the week. Uh, since I was a young man, I always took unless I was traveling. I almost always took one 
I called it my mental health day. One day a week, my mental health day. I don't do any work. I'll hang out by my pool, uh, maybe barbecue. I'll go out on my boat. I love the boat. I'll hang with the family. Um, it's That's my margin. And so, and we talk a lot more about creating uh, the balance. Um, and I think that's so important. Um, it's harmony versus balance. Now, the other thing is skirmishes. Uh, you're right. And people, people get into disagreements and things can uh, escalate quickly. I saw that with BNI and that's why we created membership committees to um, come in and mediate uh, skirmishes between businesses because you don't want, uh, a, you know, one business um, abusing, you know, their, their position and, and, you know, not being honest with the other business or things like that. So membership committees in BNI help to deal with skirmishes and can do so very, very effectively. I've done, I've seen membership committees deal with issues that would be as serious as anything you can think of. And they navigated them very, very well. What have you, I mean, what have you learned about though personally, like outside of BNI um, in seeing how, right, maybe friendships, businesses and friendships. I, I mean, as a kid growing up, uh, I saw adults in, in, you know, parents of, you know, my, my friend, my parents, my friend's parents would get in squirmishes about business, even if they weren't in business together, right? Just disagreements, arguments, how people should do things. People give unsolicited advice. Someone gets mad. How do you, and I love that you brought in the juggling, like, how does that, you know, I'm sure you had plenty of people in your life that were telling you how BNI should go and how it should be run. And even members telling you how you should change it, especially when you were more actively involved in the day to day. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I think part of it is it's going to sound easy. It's not. Just don't take it so personal. Uh, you know, I have people, especially when I was running the company, tell me, um, you know, how I was running it wrong all the time. <laughs> and um, and and generally, unless they were a director who I needed to have a real deeper conversation with, I would just say to them, thank you. I appreciate your feedback. Thanks. It's hard. It's hard to continue an argument when somebody says thanks. I, I I appreciate your feedback. Now, with you know, with directors, where you have to give other deeper conversation. I remember one director, national director of a country, who just was like, Ivan, you're not running the business well. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. And all I said to this, it was actually a couple, was, <laughs> um, you have. 50 groups in your country. I have a thousand. I can't be screwing up too bad. When you get to a thousand, even if you get to a few hundred, you might then be a little more qualified to tell me how I'm doing everything wrong. And they didn't have an argument for that. I was like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> fine. So, um, yeah, as a rule, don't engage if you can. If you don't have to engage, don't engage. If you have to engage, I recommend a book, Crucial Conversations. I've heard of it. It's, yeah. Great book. Uh, one of the things that they talk about in there is the elusive and. The elusive and. And it, it goes something like this. Alex, I understand that this is what you want. And I think you understand that this is what I want. So my question is, how can we do that 
and achieve this. Yeah. That's a total solutions focus rather than a problem focus. If all you do is focus on the problem, you become an expert at problems. You have to focus on the solution. And so the elusive and is a great technique to get people focusing on the, on the solution, not just obsessing about the problem. That was great. You become an expert at problems. I know a lot of people in life who are experts at problems. <laughs> experts they have a lot they have of no solutions. Well, and they have a lot of problems. The problems never end and life is really hard. And yeah. it's, it's always and they feel like they're accomplishing things because they do get past each problem. But yeah. there's just another problem on the other yeah. side. Yeah. I want to ask you as we kind of get then, to, to yeah, the then end. I gotta wrap up. I've got uh, something yeah. at the top of the hour. Um, I just, the last it's, is there anything you want to share with people that, you know, from all your advice and all your experience, like anything that you want to share that you, I haven't asked you or that you want to touch on just like a free soapbox moment. Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, you know, what, and you know, this well, one of our principal core values in BNI is givers gain. And, uh, I, I think givers gain to me is more than a phrase. It's a way of living one's life. It's a perspective to view and interact with the world. It's an attitude, not an expectation. And when it's applied properly, it will change your life. And when it changes enough lives, it will change the world. And uh, I, that's what I think we're doing in BNI. Um, I remember when I started BNI, it was, I, I, I wasn't trying to change the world. Uh, I have always said, you may not make a world of difference, but you can make a difference in the world. And you do that one person at a time. And then the next person and the next person and the next person. And I'll leave you with this last thought. We all have people in our story. You could tell me about people that have changed your life. Uh, and that's good. And they, it, those stories are good to share. But I'll tell you what's more important than who's in your story. What's more important is whose story are you in? Whose life have you changed? Who have you helped to change their circumstances? And someday you'll be in their story. And that, my friend, is a life well lived. Ivan, thanks so much. That is, uh, that's an awesome, beautiful statement. I love that. I, I wrote that down for myself. I think, I think we could all take a lot of that. I know you got to go. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for the sharing. Um, we didn't get into so much. There's so much more I could talk to you about. But um, I'll come back anytime you want. I so appreciate you. And again, for, for all the members that don't have a chance to talk to you, for people whose businesses you've made a difference for, thank you so much. And thanks for not only that, but being here. I've met podcast guests from it. I've created, you know, revenue, given revenue. And, and I just thanks for all you've done and the lives you've impacted. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And maybe you could put my Facebook page and LinkedIn page on your uh, show notes uh, for people to know how to connect with me and my blog. Yeah, I will, we'll, we'll put all that. We'll put every, all the ways to connect with you in the show notes. All right. Great talking to you. Great interview. Um, I wish Thank you great you. success, Alex. Thank you. Right. Take care, right. Ivan. Everybody that is Ivan, everybody that is still here, uh, Ivan just took off. Um, I just want to say that last piece that he said again, because I think that was huge. Um, so many, so many of us are focused on our story. And I, and what I really just got from that was, um, the impact that we have. Whose story are we in? Who's like, what legacy are we leaving on other people's lives? The impact that we have. Um, and I think if we pause for a moment, 
and stopped thinking about our lives for a second. And we thought about the impact that we had in other people's lives, uh, how different the world would be and how different the lives of the people around us, even if it was small. The other thing that he said is when he talked about uh, he never could, you never could have seen BNI being this big and the impact and it all starts small. It all starts as a small, like to take the next step and the next step and the next step. And most of us are focused on the results and the goal. And we forget to focus on the journey and the process. And if you take care of the journey and the process, you'll end up getting the result. But if you're only focused on the result, you're going to miss the journey and the process. And that actually is your life and the whole experience. Thanks for being here. If you're catching this live, thank you. If you're listening to this on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, anywhere that you get your podcasts, thank you. And uh, this is the Dream Mason podcast. I'm Alex Terranova. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to thedreammason.com. And if you want to learn more about Ivan Meisner or BNI, I'm going to put everything in the show notes. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream. And I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.